KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego, offering the online Master of Data Science program, shaping the next generation of data-driven problem solvers. Learn more about the online Master of Data Science program from UC San Diego at omds.ucsd.edu. Congresswoman Sarah Jacobs talks about the Build Back Better Act. It is the most historic and transformational investment in uh, addressing climate change that the United States has ever made. I'm Maureen Kavanaugh. This is KPBS Midday Edition. Our Covenant series concludes with a reckoning on real estate deeds. I don't want it to be lost 20 years from now that this was a part of society. They say be aware of history or forever be doomed to repeat it. And you can choose your own adventure and more on our weekend preview. That's ahead on Midday Edition. KPBS On Demand is supported by the Museum of Contemporary Art San Diego, offering visitors to the La Jolla campus special exhibitions, collection galleries, coastal vistas, seaside dining, and more. MCASD.org. Democrats in the House are taking a victory lap today, celebrating the passage of the $2 trillion Build Back Better Social Services Bill. The legislative package contains a host of expanded services, including paid family leave, expanded child care assistance, new Medicare benefits, plus billions to combat climate change. This legislation is the companion piece to President Biden's billion-dollar infrastructure package that passed the House earlier this month, but it did not reflect the bipartisan nature of that vote. Republican leader Kevin McCarthy spoke for eight hours overnight, temporarily delaying the Build Back Better vote, and no Republicans voted for the bill. Joining me is San Diego Congresswoman Sarah Jacobs. And Congresswoman Jacobs, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me. There is so much included in this bill. What stands out to you as the most important parts for your constituents? You know, I was so excited that we were able to pass the Build Back Better Act through the House. One of my priorities since I got to Congress has been making sure that we are addressing child care. Uh, you know, I talked to my constituents, regardless of their political ideology, uh, if they have kids, they are struggling to afford child care. And so we are really focused on making sure we're getting that child care subsidy out the door as quickly as possible, that we are working with the states to implement universal pre-K, and that we are working to continue the expanded child tax credit even after next year, which is what was in the Build Back Better Act. Affordable housing is a huge issue here in San Diego, as you know. How does this Build Back Better Act address that? There is hundreds of billions of dollars uh, in the Build Back Better Act for housing. Most of it will go into vouchers, but some of it will go into some other programs that will also help with supply. And we know that this is a priority for us here in San Diego. So I'll be working really closely with the Department of Housing and Urban Development to make sure that we get uh, the housing funding that we need. And what's in the climate action portion of this bill? There are a lot of really exciting parts of the climate component of this bill. 
together with the bipartisan infrastructure deal. They work together to make sure that we're reducing our carbon emissions in line with the Paris Accords. It is the most historic and transformational investment in uh, addressing climate change that the United States has ever made. It includes tax credits. It includes making sure that we are addressing environmental justice. Um, There's a lot of really exciting pieces, and we'll be working with the Senate to make sure that all those pieces remain in the final bill. And we'll pay for all this by new taxes on the rich? Uh, The entire bill is paid for uh, in part by making sure that the wealthy and big corporations pay their fair share, in part by stepping up enforcement of the wealthy uh, through IRS enforcement, uh, and in part through savings from the prescription drug pricing reform that is in the bill. Now, how confident are you, though, that the new corporate and millionaire taxes will cover the several hundred billion dollar deficit created by this huge bill? We have talked to numerous Nobel Prize winning economists, um, the White House, the Joint uh, Committee on Taxation, uh, Moody's all say that this uh, bill actually helps reduce the deficit. And that is just looking just at the revenues and at the spending. Part of what I'm so excited about in this bill is that they're the kind of investments that we know have huge payoffs. So we know that for every dollar we spend on addressing childhood poverty now, we actually save $7 down the road. We know so many parents aren't able to join the workforce because of childcare. And uh, we lose a trillion dollars to our economy from uh, parents not joining the workforce every single year. And so not only is it about the spending and the revenue bouncing out, although uh, all these estimates say that they do, but also the amount of economic growth and deficit savings we will get uh, from the investments that we're making. Now, uh, Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy gave one of the longest speeches in the history of Congress last night, apparently, to delay the vote on the Build Back Better Act. And you presided over a part of that speech. What was that like, Congresswoman? That's right. I presided from about 1 a.m. till about 5.15 in the morning when he finished talking. Uh, It was a long night. Uh, I did not get to sleep. Uh, And I will say that his speech was kind of rambling, very full of falsehoods, pretty inappropriate at times. A lot of pointed comments uh, at me at the chair, which is not not decorum in the House. And, you know, it appears and he, he basically said that he was doing that Um, because he wanted to beat Speaker Pelosi's record of of the longest floor speech. But frankly, she was doing hers in foreign shields, so I'm not sure he really beat that. So no Republicans in the House, including San Diego County's sole Republican, Daryl Issa, no Republicans voted for this bill. Are you disturbed by that? Look, I think that it just goes to show how broken things are in Washington right now, because the fact of the matter is, 200 people in Washington don't get to decide what's bipartisan. When I'm talking to my constituents, even if they're Republicans, they are struggling with child care and want help. Um, They know that they need uh, things like the child tax credit. They know that they need immigration and to address climate change. And so um, for me, this is a very bipartisan bill, whether or not 200 people in Washington decide to vote for it. Build Back Better now moves on to the Senate where it faces opposition from Republicans and from Democrats, Senators Manchin and Cinema, How do you think that can be resolved? Uh, you know, the bill we passed through the House, we have about 90% agreement on, on everything that's in it with the Senate. And there are a few pieces that we're still working through. But when President Biden talked to us uh, a couple weeks ago, he was very confident that he could get 51 votes in the Senate. And I'm going to trust him to be able to do that. And when are you hoping the bill goes to the president for his signature? 
I'm hoping before the end of the year so that we can make sure we start next year off on the right foot. All right, then. I've been speaking with San Diego Congresswoman Sarah Jacobs. Congresswoman Jacobs, thank you very much. You are so welcome. We bring you the third and final part of our KPBS three-part series on racial covenants. KPBS race and equity reporter Christina Kim examines how people are reconciling the legacy of racial restrictions. Also, why people are choosing to remove, or in some cases, not removing, the racial restrictions from their deeds. Everyone who has come into this house has had that moment where they walk in and they go, oh my God, it feels so good in here. Like it feels like a sanctuary. We're like, oh, thank you. And that's exactly what Kiona Beatty and Ken Zach's 1920 Mission Hill bungalow feels and smells like. A sanctuary perfumed with Palo Santo and filled with plants and decorated in rich earth tones. But in 2019, they uncovered a hard truth about their dream home, a racially restrictive covenant attached to the original deed. It, like so many other San Diego properties built in the early 20th century, barred non-white people from owning in their neighborhood. That's a shadow over this, not only this property, but this whole neighborhood has this restriction tied to it. But so to me, it was like, let's remove that. Beatty is black and Zach is white. It felt wrong that the original deed to their shared home banned Beatty from living there. The U.S. Supreme Court outlawed racially restrictive deeds in 1948, and there was an attachment to their deed saying just that. But Beatty and Zach wanted to take things a step further. They wanted any and all mentions of the restrictions struck from the document. And I was a retired lawyer at the time, so I just Googled, um, you know, the, the statute and found it. And the statute's pretty clear on how you do it. The statute Zach is referring to is a law that was enacted in 2005. It gives California homeowners the ability to cross out racially restrictive language from their deeds. Beatty and Ken finished the process on the last day of 2020's Black History Month. They immediately felt the difference. People might say, you know, oh, it's not enforceable, so what's the point in going through all the steps and doing this? Like, what does it really prove? And I like to say it felt like doing, like, the ultimate smudge stick. For them, it's not about forgetting, but creating a new foundation and future for their home. Not everyone in California, however, is eager to remove the racially restrictive covenants from their deeds. I don't want it to be lost 20 years from now that this was a part of society. They say, be aware of history or forever be doomed to repeat it. Michael Dew of El Cerrito is a black homeowner who was once mistaken for a gardener in his own El Cerrito neighborhood. He's keeping the restrictive language on his deed. And he's been able to use it to get his extended family to talk about San Diego's racist history and the hurdles they faced. It's not been easy. You really have to pull teeth to get your older relatives to talk about these things. And I think that's a piece of the trauma of it all. Is like rather than tackle it head on, we're just going to put it in the back. He understands why his grandfathers and family don't want to talk about it. But he also wants to make sure that the history is kept alive especially as debates over suburbia, single-family zoning, and where to build affordable housing are once again taking center stage, at the local level, and as we saw during the 2020 presidential campaign, at the national level. The suburbs, people fight all of their lives to get into the suburbs and have a beautiful home. There will be no more low-income housing forced into the suburbs. Racially restrictive covenants and other forms of housing discrimination are illegal now. But the ideas and language that normalize racial restrictions in the first place 
continue today. So a lot of NIMBY movements, not in my backyard movements, uh, where people are pushing back against changes that would make a neighborhood more accessible. That's Nancy Quack, a UC San Diego historian. Often when local San Diegans talk about property values and their rights as homeowners, she hears the same logic that was used in the past to defend segregation. This is where I put my money and I saved my earnings, so therefore this is something that I deserve. Quack says that while we no longer hear overt racist statements around housing, homeowners still feel it's their right to control who can and can't live near them. That's why she and others emphasize the importance of seeing and understanding the connection between the racial covenants of last century and the housing issues of today. Christina Kim, KPBS News. Last month, Governor Newsom signed into law new legislation that makes it even easier for Californians to find and redact racial restrictions. If you missed any part of KPBS's special three-part series, you can catch up on kpbs.org. KPBS On Demand is supported by Under the Sun Foundation, presenting the Candlewood Arts Festival in Borrego Springs, featuring temporary public art projects that engage community and place. March 23rd. More at candlewoodartsfestival.org. In our weekend preview, we have a play about Van Gogh, a comforting art exhibit, an intimate opera performance, and even a choose-your-own-adventure book reading. Joining me with all the details is KPBS arts producer and editor, Julia Dixon-Evans. And welcome, Julia. Hi, Maureen. Thanks for having me on. Let's start with the theater. There's a world premiere at the La Jolla Playhouse that opens this week with the main character, Van Gogh. Tell us about To the Yellow House. Right, this is by playwright Kimber Lee, who we might remember for her play Tokyo Fish Story that was performed at the Oak Globe in 2016. But To the Yellow House is set in a two-year period of time in Vincent van Gogh's life that we just don't know a lot about. Lee wrote this play in part because of how fascinating that is, but also because we do know that it was a time of of tremendous failure for Vincent van Gogh. He was constantly running out of money. He was living off of his brother's wealth and his brother's good name in Paris, and he was often drunk and causing problems with everybody he meets. But right after this period of failure, he moves to that famous yellow house in Arles in the south of France. I talked to the playwright, Kimberly, this week about that. The play brings him through great difficulty, through a moment of great shattering, to a place of quiet resolve and kind of starting over. He has no way of knowing that the paintings he's about to do are going to be the most famous, you know, some of the most famous paintings in the history of art. He has no way of knowing any of that. But despite the ringing failure and heartbreak that he goes through, he still finds something within himself to say, I'm going to keep going anyway. And like Lee's Tokyo Fish Story, the script is spare and it's quiet and it's really built on the way Vincent interacts with the people around him. I think it's going to be a really brainy and subtle antidote for the in-your-face flashiness of that immersive Van Gogh experience that will come to the Del Mar Fairgrounds in January. 
I'm interested to hear what you have to say about that in January. The low-cost previews to the Yellow House continue at the La Jolla Playhouse through this weekend with performances tonight at 8 p.m. and Saturday at 2 and 8 p.m. and it runs through December 12th. Swish Projects in North Park opens a new visual art exhibition this weekend. Tell us about Lillian Martinez. Yeah, she's an artist who's shown her work around the world, but she's also the founder of the home goods company, BFGF, which stands for Boyfriend Girlfriend. And this is things like art, tapestries, upholstered furniture with prints on them, clothing, accessories, and all stuff that are like these comfy works of art. The colors are soothing and the objects are, are soft, but also very artistic as well. And so this show of her art also kind of runs on that theme of comfort. It's looking at beauty, humor, and comfort. And I love her use of the figure, particularly women of color. And she creates these images that are really powerful and and kind of soft at the same time. And she also has a pretty evocative use of everyday objects. Like there's a giant sculpture of a Nike hat or a basketball. And it's all startling, but still familiar, still quotidian. There's there's a total comfort to that. There's a mixture of sculpture, fabrics, and paintings in this show. You can see it at the opening reception. That's Saturday from noon to 3 or by appointment. That's Lillian Martinez on view at Swish Projects tomorrow through December 19th. All right, then, in the literary world, or should I say the fantasy world, local writer Kazim Ali will be reading from his new Choose Your Own Adventure book. Tell us about this. Yeah, this is the actual Choose Your Own Adventure book franchise that we all grew up with. And this one is about Krishi, a whisperer who was following in the ancient ways of magicians and sorcerers from the young age of 10. And he's suddenly caught up in a threat to the city of Ilaria. And Krishi is the you character all through the book. And I love how implicating these stories are in second person, even before we have to make those decisions. And Kazem Ali's prose and his storytelling is really rich and enchanting. And it's also really approachable, too. He'll be doing an in-person event at the Book Catapult that's in South Park. And that will be Saturday at 1 p.m. So finally, Julia, let's talk music. Opera great Michelle Bradley is returning to the San Diego Opera for one of their intimate solo performances. What can we expect? So I first saw Michelle Bradley in the lead role of Aida, which the San Diego Opera produced a few years ago. And she has this incredible voice and stage presence. And it's really exciting to see her in one of these more intimate concert experiences. There's actually two performances. They're both at the Baker Bomb Concert Hall at the Conrad. It's just Bradley with piano accompaniment, and she'll be spotlighting American composers and spirituals. One of the works that caught my attention is Samuel Barber's Hermit Songs, which are these whimsical vocal pieces. They're based on the found poetry of Irish monks. We're listening to a recording from 1951. So, of course, this is not Michelle Bradley. This is the great Leanton Price singing The Monk and His Cat. Pleased with his own art, neither hinders the Soprano Michelle Bradley sings American Composers and Spirituals, presented by the San Diego Opera tomorrow at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday at 4 at the Conrad. For details on these and more arts events, 
and to sign up for Julia's weekly KPBS Arts newsletter to get these recommendations delivered straight to your inbox each week. Go to kpbs.org arts. I've been speaking with KPBS arts producer and editor Julia Dixon-Evans. Thank you, Julia. Thank you, Maureen. Have a good weekend. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year, we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, we've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com.